I didn't think it would affect me as harshly as it did, but it but it did. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report, as Ketchikan's coronavirus case total stays steady at 14, a father and local musician discusses his fight against COVID-19. And families adjust to a world where both kids and parents are working from home. All that and more on tonight's KRBD Evening Report. First, though, let's take a look at the weather. Scattered snow showers and isolated rain showers in the forecast for tonight, with lows around 30 and northwest winds to 15 miles an hour. Partly sunny tomorrow, Tuesday, with highs in the mid-40s and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Tuesday night, another chance of snow with lows in the mid-30s and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. Rain that may be heavy at times on Wednesday with highs around 40 and southeast winds to 25 miles an hour, gusting to around 40. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Eric Stone. The coronavirus has sickened 14 people in Ketchikan so far. Russell Wodehouse is one of them. The father, hardware store worker, and local musician was among the first residents identified to have COVID-19. That was in mid-March. Wodehouse says he went out with some friends on Friday the 13th of March. Four days later, he got a call from health authorities saying he needed to get tested. One of his friends had tested positive. By that weekend, he'd gotten his results. He, too, was positive. And it wasn't long after that before he started to feel really sick. I started getting fevers this in that next week after that I started getting really heavy fevers I had fevers that usually ranged between 102 and 104.4 and it's when it shot up like that that um, Tracy suggested that I go to the hospital because I was just basically all I was doing was kind of laying around and sleeping and I would wake up and and what was happening is it was affecting my blood sugars because I'm type 2 diabetic um Anyway, I ended up going to the hospital for a few days. And um, I, for me, the thing that was, I, they, basically, they can't do anything for you. When I was in the hospital, I got my, um, they did a chest x-ray, and I ended up getting viral pneumonia from the coronavirus as well. And when you have viral pneumonia, it's not like bacterial pneumonia where they can treat it with um antibiotics and stuff like that. There's just, when you get this disease, this virus, there's really not much they can do except treat symptoms. Uh, I got to ask, I mean, how did it, how did it feel to get that call from, from public health telling you that you, that you had to get tested because you might've been exposed to somebody? Uh, well, it's kind of funny because our friend that we'd gone out with, you know, they said, Oh, well, I'm not feeling that great. I'm going to go get tested. And then we were joking. It's like, of course, this person would be the first person to end up being the first case in Ketchikan, and they indeed did. And so um, it was a little, um, I don't know, it was surreal in a way, you know, to get a call saying, hey, you were hanging out with this person, and they tested positive, and you need to go get tested. Um, Though at the same time, you know, all the research I'd done, I knew – it, it It is what it is. There's nothing that they can do. I mean, the only thing you can do is to try to protect yourself. Well, and by protecting yourself, what you should really do is be trying to protect other people from getting it. I think one of the things that I didn't realize is how severely it could affect you, you know, because it's not like it's like the flu, but it's not like the flu where, um, you know, and depending on 
the person, um, you know, you could have severe symptoms or you didn't hardly have any symptoms. Um, it could, it just, I didn't think it would affect me as harshly as it did, but it, but it did. So, I mean, how does it feel to be, uh, to be cleared of it now? Well, obviously I feel a lot better physically. I think the two things that I'm dealing with are one, again, the remnants of, of the, of the, um, pneumonia and just getting tired easily. Um, but then the other part is how people look at you or treat you because I, uh, I'm in a band. I did radio over at one of the other stations and people kind of know who I am. Um, so it's how people treat you or look at you. Um, even though you've been cleared, I think there's a lot of, uh, misinformation or people who just aren't educated on how the virus works and are so worried about themselves and whether they're going to get infected and stuff like that. And it's just, um, I mean, is it a serious thing? Absolutely. But I think that people need to put it, one, in perspective, and two, really educate themselves on how the virus works and doesn't work. Um, So, you know... Because even my work called when when I was talking about going back, they're like, people are going to be a little weird towards you because you had it. And, you know, people just don't understand how it works and how the virus works and that they can't get it from me anymore. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it doesn't freak them out. That was Russell Wodehouse. He fought a nearly three-week battle against the coronavirus. He says he was cleared by state health authorities this weekend. Alaska's chief medical officer is encouraging Alaskans to wear homemade masks when they go out in public as the number of people diagnosed with COVID-19 continues to grow. Dr. Ann Zink says it's one of several things Alaskans can do to help limit the spread of COVID-19. That's the disease caused by the coronavirus. That's why we're encouraging people, if you're going to go out in public, if you're going to go to the grocery store, to consider wearing a tightly woven homemade mask uh, to be able to, to minimize the spread in case you are asymptomatic or early symptomatic. Zinc underscores that Alaskans should wear homemade masks and keep medical masks for healthcare providers. She made the recommendation at a news conference on Thursday where she also thanked Alaskans for their efforts to help slow the spread of the virus, including social distancing. The first case of COVID-19 in Petersburg was identified on Sunday. The Petersburg Medical Center informed the Petersburg Borough of a positive test result. According to the statement, the infected person is in quarantine and state of Alaska public health officials are monitoring their condition. The individual had traveled to the lower 48, returned to Petersburg in mid-March and quarantined at home. The person noticed mild symptoms and was tested in late March. The individual is said to be following isolation guidelines and is improving. The Alaska Division of Public Health is investigating other people the patient might have come in contact with and will notify them as needed. Another Petersburg resident, Pete Erickson, was infected with COVID-19 while he was in Washington State getting medical treatment. Erickson eventually died March 16th in Washington. Petersburg's incident commander, Carl Hagerman, urged the community to remain calm. He wrote in a community message that Petersburg Medical Center had been prepared for a positive case and was ready. He urged the community to continue with, quote, the positive and healthy behaviors that we have all been working on, unquote. The state of Alaska is under a shelter-in-place mandate, meaning that people are only supposed to leave their homes for essential needs. 
Juggling a job, parenting, and teaching is the reality many parents are finding themselves in. Across Alaska, schools are closed until at least May. Child cares are closed, all out of precaution to slow the spread of COVID-19. As KFSK's Angela Denning reports, working families in Petersburg are trying to adapt. Kelly Wood is a state biologist in Petersburg. She's also the mother of two girls, 8 and 10. Lately, her days have been starting very early. I get up between 4.30 and 5 every morning, and I go straight down to my new office, which is my dining room table. Wood is doing research for the Department of Fish and Game. Her goal is to get three or four hours in on the computer before the kids wake up. Soon, though, she's answering questions about their school assignments. Her husband is a commercial fisherman who is out on the water for weeks at a time. It's just her, the job, and the kids under one roof. I mean, we have our moments. There's definitely some tantrums from both sides. Like the time when her eight-year-old was doing homework for a program called Writing Without Tears. And she's like, handwriting without tears, huh? Liars! <laughs> she just like melted down. I felt really bad, but it was really funny at the same time. Jody Tao is another working from home parent. Her two kids are 10 and 12. It's interesting. You know, I'm pretty used to, oh, there goes my phone again. <laughs> I'm apparently really busy. Oh, gosh. And I'm sorry. <sighs> She's working remotely as Petersburg Borough's finance director. Like Wood, her husband is also a fisherman, so she's used to single parenting. But normally, she gets a break. Usually, you know, they go to school, I go to work in the morning, and Logan usually doesn't get home till 6 at the earliest um, from swim team, and Lexi at 4.30, and they're used to their schedules. That kind of day is out the window. Tao's borough job is considered essential, and so she and her staff stagger schedules in the office. Tao's biggest challenge has been setting up new technology for everyone to work from home. She was already familiar with the conferencing program Zoom, but... The kids have Ring Central, and I have other meetings that use something else, and other meetings that just use by phone that you have to call in, and sometimes it doesn't work with your cell phone, so you have to use a different phone, and to figure that all out has been a chore in itself. I would like to say I have a beautiful office space that I have created. That's Chris Akata. Right now I'm trying to find a place wherever my three children are not. It's a uniquely challenging time. Kata's three children range in age from 9 to 8th grade. She's the librarian for Petersburg Schools, and she teaches online courses for the school district. When she first learned she'd be working from home, she thought it'd be great. I was actually really looking forward to it because I was like, hey, it's going to be awesome, be able to hang out with the kids and get my work done and um, work in my jammies if I need to. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been more of a transition than I originally thought. It was a bit of a rough start the first day of classes when Kata was teaching and her three children were online for school. There was some confusion about the schedule and one of her kids missed a class. It's getting easier, she says, though she doesn't find much time for herself. Yesterday I realized I worked almost a 12-hour day. Uh, actually, it was longer because I was doing on, an online class. And so it was really, it was a much longer day than, you know, if we were actually in the building working. Tao says her day starts early and she goes until she drops around 9 p.m. And like Kata, 
there's very little time for self-care. You know, you worry about your kids, you worry about your staff, you worry about the community. You know, you just want everything to be perfect. So you spend all your time on that. And, you know, there's not a lot of time left over. Now, these parents say their bosses are understanding and do not want them working more than normal. It's just taking the parents extra hours to figure out a daily routine that works for them. All the parents agree that struggling through the necessary technology now will pay off in the long run because they'll have a new set of skills. And they're also all grateful to even be getting a paycheck. Here's Wood. I feel um, pretty lucky that, I, I, one, I still have a job, and two, that I can do it from home. Nobody knows how long this new working-from-home life will last. So, like many Alaskans, these parents are just trying to take it one day at a time. Reporting from a home office in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Eric Stone. Welcome to One Poem a Day Won't Kill You, KRBD's annual celebration of National Poetry Month. This is Jessica Clark, and I would like to share the poem Take Me With You by J. Ellen Mills in memory of Elsa Granville. Take me with you. I regret you'll never really remember me, but I believe you'll know me. Named of my father and raised on remembrances of me, I'll always be a part of you. Escape with me to your imagination. Discover freedom and fantasy through my toys. Melodies memories are made of come from me. Reading the same books lends us an understanding. Never stop looking at life through the eyes of a child. And although you don't remember me, don't forget to take me with you. Stay tuned for more of One Poem a Day Won't Kill You throughout the month of April here on KRBD Catch Camp.